So let's just get the, the big thing out of the way that you're all wondering. What's up with that title? All right, if you look at your bulletins, there's a title on there. And if you haven't seen it yet, just take a second. Um, that, is, that is not the name of a city that God curses in the Old Testament, okay? Uh, Fomog, all right, is something that I made up. And let me just try to give it to you as to why I had to go with this title uh, here and now. I was actually called nerdy about this earlier by, by someone. So, so here's the thing. Um, fear of missing out. Anybody heard of this? Of course you have, because you're all under 35 for the most part, and this is what you deal with as well. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, FOMO, fear of missing out, is something that actually was uh, uh, clinically uh, diagnosed 20 years ago by a Harvard professor and saying that this is a real thing, that people deal with this fear of missing out, uh, missing out in the moment. And uh, largely it was attributed to those who spend so much time on social media. Right. And like you have to always stay connected in Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and whatever else there is. And so when you disconnect, there's like something in your body going, oh, my God, what if this is happening? And I'm like missing out right now. And I remember when I first heard of FOMO years ago, I realized that explained my whole childhood. All right. So like I grew up out in the country in Mississippi on about 20 acres of land just with family. And, and that was my life. And yet I would watch TV and realize that the world was bigger than those 20 acres of land out in the country. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I'm just missing out. There are so many amazing things and I'll just keep missing out on them. And I was, I was having this anxiety that I wanted to go be a part of something, but I couldn't get there until I was 17. And when I went to college, I moved eight hours away from home. I went to a school that had over 80 nations represented and I just wanted to jump in and not miss out. And that continued with me. Right out of college, I moved overseas. I traveled the world for three years, 25 different countries, was living in nine or 10 of them. But I still had this anxiety, like I was missing out. And I, even, even when, uh, when Suzanne and I were dating, it was so interesting because uh, we were dating and listen, uh, this happens, right? Where you're just not really sure, should I do this or not? Is this really the, the person I want to commit to? And I remember going back overseas after we were dated a little bit, and all of a sudden, all these other guys started coming around her, and they're like, we're going to take her if you don't, Robin. You're like, that's not a good word. Nobody's taking you, baby. All right, so, <laughs> sorry. But, but like, we're, we're going to pursue her and woo her if you don't, Robin. And uh, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to miss out if I don't do this. Like, I've, I've got to jump in. Okay. Now, can any of you relate to that? Right? Can you relate to this fear of, of missing out on things? And what's happened a lot of times when we think about God and the things that God is up to in this world, we've tried to insulate ourselves with a theology and understanding of his sovereignty, I think, that makes us think that we'll never miss out on what God has for us and we'll never miss out on the things God is doing. But Jesus would disagree with you. Jesus believes that you actually can miss out on what God is doing, about what he's up to. I'm not talking about your personal plans, or as the prophet Drake would say, God's plans, all right? I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about like, like you could miss out on the flow of where God is trying to take things. And I've been sitting with this now for really the last year, thinking about, God, I just don't want to miss you. 
I don't want to miss out on what it is you're up to. Like I, I know Psalm 138 verse 8, you will fulfill your purposes for my life. I get that. But, but I can become so niched and ingrown and tunnel vision that I miss out on the wider scope of things you're trying to do in this world. And so that's what I want us to talk about here. I want us to address this FOMOG, fear of missing out on God. It should be FOMOG, but that just sounded weirder than FOMOG. So the fear of missing out, though, like on God. And so let's just consider a couple of things. Like, I think we need to see how we miss out on God. And I also want us to get to, though, at some point, how we can join in with God. So first, let's just consider the ways that we maybe miss out with God. Um, Jesus, in this passage, he's at a dinner of a very distinguished person. It's a, a ruler of the Pharisees. So he was a Pharisee in control of other Pharisees, and uh, which means he had a lot of power, a lot of clout. Uh, he was like, uh, a, a Pharisee was like a, a pastor, okay? But like he was like a mega pastor. And then he was like a mega pastor who had all this say-so of other pastors. And at this time in history, um, because the world for an ancient Near Eastern person who was Jewish was built around religion, like you only can imagine the kind of power and clout that uh, someone like a Pharisee would have. And uh, dinners and these soirees were like, you talk about progressive dinners, ancient Near Eastern people had it down, right? They understood how to have a progressive dinner. They would go for hours at a dinner. So Jesus is invited on a Sabbath to a long dinner at this very prestigious person's home. And it starts off with that there's a person with dropsy or edema who has like this disease and, and we understand something like dropsy more now, but at that time, any kind of disease, people just assumed that that person was unclean, maybe judged by God. They were for sure an outsider. So somehow, and we don't know how this person with dropsy ends up at this Pharisee's house. We don't know if, um, if he was simply invited because maybe the Pharisee just wanted him to have him there, or maybe the Pharisee wanted like to plant him there and get Jesus to do a healing on a Sabbath, which would have been unlawful. But we know that this person's there, and Jesus heals this person, and they all watch him. And then Jesus gives this whole story that if you had an ox that fell into a pit, would you not get it out on a Sabbath? You know, the kind of things we all do with this 21st century people. Whenever your ox falls into a pit, you, you got to get him out at some point in time, Right. And so Jesus is trying to press in and say, hey, like your rules and your religion, your knowledge of who you think God is, is keeping you away from God moments. And so then he goes on to talk about, because he's looking around the room, Jesus looks around the room and it's, everybody's kind of reclining. It would have been a big room and they're reclining and there's a head of the table and there's the end of the table. And you see all these people, now this Pharisee, keep in mind, he was a very distinguished, high-end person in society, which means he would have invited only distinguished, high-end people, all right? He had some wealth to him. He also was in Jerusalem. It was like the who's who of distinguished people who are going to show up for this dinner. And Jesus looks around the room, and they're all vying for position, right? You know, you know, you know when you see that happening in a room right? People kind of hobnobbing and trying to connect and like meet the right people and, and rub shoulders with the right people. Jesus sees that. And he, and he has a, he has a confrontation. 
Because he's saying, listen, don't invite just your family members who maybe are as wealthy as you or others who are rich, maybe who are richer than you to your dinners. When you want to have a gathering of people, invite the lowest of the low. Invite those who are poor and invite the lame and invite the cripple. Because when you do so, like then you will experience blessing. Look at verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you have a great banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, lame, blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, what's interesting about this word blessed, this is a really big deal. In, in Greek, the word is makarios. And blessing within the ancient Near East was about getting favor, about getting hookups. That if you could, if you could meet the right people and they give you the right reference, then they would help you get the right job. And it hasn't really changed, has it? Right? It sounds like today. It's not a matter of necessarily how qualified you are or how in need you may be. It really comes down to, in most situations, is who you know. We call it networking. All right. That's how we've tried to brand it. But the reality is, is like you either are a person of privilege who happens to know the right people or you're not. It's simply that simple. And Jesus is saying to them, don't invite the other people who are just as privileged as you. Invite the people who actually don't have privilege. Invite the disinherited. Invite those who aren't going to make you look better on your resume. Invite those who can't pay you back and make it well worth your time that you invested in them. Because if you want to get blessing, like that's what you're going to have to do. But here's the thing with blessing. It's not just about um, having the right hookups from those around you. Blessing, Makarios, is also about having God's hookups in life. Like you wanted to have God's hookups. Again, Drake, God's plan, right? So like, you, I, I guess it all comes full circle. There we go. All right, so, but again, you, this is what people wanted. They wanted to know that they could have the hookup for a greater thing in life. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're not careful, you're gonna miss out on what God is really doing because you're so consumed with trying to network with the right people around you about just what blesses you. So it's interesting, Jesus is at this moment trying to lift up the disinherited, saying, bless them. And then what's interesting, look here, verse 15, there's someone who stands up, it's like an awkward moment. This person stands up and says, bless is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom. And, and Jesus, like you could almost hear the record stopping. And then like Jesus looks at him and this person, okay, the only thing I compare it to is like when a person of privilege hears so much about the Black Lives Matter movement, okay? So they hear like all the Black Lives Matter and then somebody stands up and they say all lives matter. Of course all lives matter. We understand that all lives matter, but it hasn't always been shown that all lives matter. So sometimes we have to focus in and go, there are people who are marginalized, people who come from disinherited places and we have to be willing to lift them up. And so Jesus, when this person speaks up and says, blessed are all people and they're all going to be in the kingdom, Jesus is going, I don't think you're fully getting this. So let me try to break it down a little bit more with the parable. 
Now, here's what we know about parables. Parables are meant to communicate what God's reign and rule in this world could look like if we buy into it. If we're willing to jump into the flow of what God's wanting to do, this is what his kingdom could look like. Parables are not meant to size up the right theology for the right moment so you'll have the right result. Parables are meant to expand the imagination and push you to think outside your own boundaries in life. So Jesus then gives a parable. And he gives this parable about a person who gives a great banquet. So we know if it's a great banquet, this is a great person who's very wealthy. And this person goes ahead and sends out the invites to all these people. And so then the day comes for the banquet. He walks into his great hall and no one's there. This person of such prestige and influence that if you just came near this person, you would get God's plan, all right? Like you would get the hookup for the divine in your life and no one's there. So he sends out someone working for him saying, go find the people I invited. So the person starts walking around town, knocking on doors and like, where are you? Like, what's going on? And then we find there's like three excuses here. The the first person's excuse is that they have invested in a field. They've bought a field and they need to go see the field. Maybe they haven't seen the, I, I can't imagine buying something you haven't seen. All right. So, but whatever it may be, this person's like, I need to go see what I bought. I can't come. It sounds amazing. Okay. Like let's postpone it. Can't wait to do it again. Kisses. All right. And then, so you can only imagine the servant going, okay. And so then the servant goes to the next place and he finds some dude who has just bought a bunch of oxen. And he goes, I got to go check them out. I got to make sure they're the right kind of oxen, whatever that means. Like as if you shouldn't have done this before. So he buys the oxen and he's got to go figure out if these oxen are the right kind of oxen. And so again, like, this servant's going, are you sure you want to choose like cattle over this like hookup? Are you sure about this? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to work out. Don't worry. This oxen's really going to get me places in life. I can't wait. And so then we come to the third person. And the third person seems to have a really good reason, right? They just got married, right? Okay. Like if you just got married, you know something, you better not leave anytime. So you're hanging out, right? Like, you don't get married and be like, hey, can I go hang out with the boys tonight? Like, I'll be back soon. Like, I love you. I can't wait to do the rest of the life together. You know, no. Like, when you get married, like, you're going to hang out together. You're going to spend time. So this person has a really good excuse, a really good reason. I've gotten married. I can't come. So the servant comes back. Now, hold on. Just consider this. How privileged must you be to turn down a dinner with someone like uh, LeBron James, Drake. I think we'd all turn that down. Princess Megan, right? I got some people I want to introduce you to here, right? Like, you're not going to be like, you know, mm, 
Laughlin Yard sounds a lot more fun tonight. You know, I think folding clothes is really the right direction for me to go right now. No, what do you do? Like you drop it and you go. So how privileged, how trapped in your own world must you be that when someone gives you this divine hookup, something that could change your life, you go, eh, I think I'm good. And it says that they made excuses, which, again, sometimes we have to tease this out. It meant they avoided, it meant they wanted to miss out on purpose. Now, again, remember, these parables about the kingdom of God. So let's zoom out. Jesus is trying to paint a picture that if you're willing to jump into this, you're going to find the blessings you never could have made happen on your own. And yet, people of privilege will always find good excuses to miss out. People who, like, have options will always find a way, like, it's a good reason to miss a God moment. How many of us have really good reasons, and yet we keep finding ourselves missing out on God moments? They're not bad reasons. It's a good reason to go be with your spouse after you've just married. We can all agree. It's a good reason, I guess, to go check your oxen or at least the things you've invested money in, like a field. Those are all good things. But here's what he's saying. If you're not careful, you'll get so consumed with your good reasons and good things, you'll keep missing out on God moments. Now, here's what we know about these people, these Pharisees that were all gathered together. They were, they were the most theologically astute they are the ones who had their theologies down. They're the ones who give you the right answers in the right moment. If you wanted counsel about something big, they could tell you how to do it. And yet still, these are those who miss out on God moments. The irony, the irony that they are so sure how the world's to work within the kingdom, and yet they miss out on God right in front of them. And I think the challenge for us to consider is, y'all, we're more like, like the privileged. We're, we're more like those who have options than those who don't. I'm not going to define your life and your situation. Trust me, that's not my job. But I know this. I know that I don't want to miss out on what God's up to. And I can choose being systematically right and correct and accurate. And that'll keep me from jumping in on what God's wanting to do. And I think that's a challenge for the church today in general. We have worked so hard to make sure that we have the right theologies and the right doctrines and everything else in place. We can describe God and explain him away. Think about that. We think we can always describe God away to anyone. I'm not saying you can't know God, but I'll tell you this. I think we spend more time knowing about God than knowing God. 
And it's so easy, isn't it? It's so easy to try to form how everything's supposed to look and work up here, but then just be miles away right here with another person. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is going to be filled with those who want to jump in on things. So go back here. Notice what happens when he finds out that this banquet isn't being filled by the people he invited. He like makes plan B. Verse 21, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and lame and blind. He goes to the streets, and streets are streets, okay? Streets are streets. Streets are like, this is, these are the places where they're all trying to avoid. You know those places. Go to the places where there's the, the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled. Go to the places for those who have, where they've made bad decisions, they have loose morals, Right? And like, they're just going to be this huge burden on you. I want you to go to those places and I want those people to come sit at this table and have this divine hookup. And that's what he does. He fills it up with all these people, not who have their theologically like astute and correct points. That's not it. The table's filled with people not with amazing theology, but with neediness. People who are just saying like, I need something here because I can't make it happen on my own. And then, I love this, verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. There's still room. I love that line. Like there's still room at the table. There's still room at the banquet to come together. And so now he's getting like even wilder here because at least these, these crippled, poor, lame, blind people, see, they were the outcasts within Jewish culture. So they were in the streets and the lanes. And then he says, he goes, I want you to now go to the highways and hedges, meaning hedges means borders. I want you to go now outside of the city to the highways where all the traffic is happening and to the borders and borders meaning like the people who aren't like you, the others. And I want you to bring them in now. And I want you to keep going to the highways and hedges until we get this whole thing filled up. And this would have been like, okay. So if you're a Pharisee, listening to this, you're going, okay, maybe I'm not nice enough to the poor, lame and the blind who are like me, but to the pagans, to the unbelievers, like you're saying those are the ones that are going to be at this table and not me, not me who went to seminary all these years and got it all down, not me who's been a faithful churchgoer, went to all my Sunday school classes, all my small groups, took notes on all the sermons, I have it all down pat, not me, yeah, not you, because you keep missing out on it. You think that is what the kingdom's about. The kingdom includes that. It's okay, but it's not about that. It's about people who are in need here and now. They don't have the privilege, they don't have the standing, and they need something more. And so they fill it up. I think bluntly what this is saying is this. 
those who are marginalized, outcasts, unrepentant non-believers, those outside and not in, they are the ones who have a better chance of joining in on what God is doing. And I think then the opposite is true, that those who are so committed and self-assured in their Bible knowledge of what is right and wrong in and out, that they have a better chance of missing out of what God is up to. That's weighty and scary. But I think, like, we just can't avoid it. Like, it's here. Like, we're not making stuff up here, so it's here. Like, it's, it's Jesus saying, like, these are the kind of people that could be filling up the kingdom. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss out. You'll have really good reasons, but you'll keep missing out on God moments. So then what does this mean for us? Both individually, for you, but then, but then for all of us. Here's what I wonder. What's keeping you from joining in on what God is doing in the world? Like, what are good reasons that you keep missing out on God moments? It could be that you've, um, you know, one of the things I was thinking through this, it's so easy to happen. If I even take these examples here that Jesus gave, that you want to be a good, responsible steward, steward of what you have financially, okay? You want to invest well. So we're more interested in our E-trades, right? And making sure that we've lined it all up, getting our 401k down just right. So we have something to pass down to those after us. That's a good thing. But those kind of things can like consume us and keep us away from God moments. We want to invest real heavily in our families, make sure that we care for them and nurture them. That's our first priority. Absolutely. And yet we end up using that as excuses so many times to like invite others into our lives. We are so afraid that if we let others in that don't see scripture the exact same way or chop it up the ways that we want, that if we, if we do that, it'll be the slippery slope. But Jesus seems to think like your slippery slope's worth it because you're on some high ground that's pretty dangerous. So what is it that keeps us from joining in on what God is doing? What are the good excuses, good reasons, but we end up missing out on God's like plan? Here's what I would say. I'd say one of the ways that we can, you can, I can individually like approach this is just consider who are the others in your life? Like others. Who are the people who aren't like you? Who are the people that scare you the most because of what they would drain of you financially? Because what they would make you feel like uncomfortably? Because of what they see things theologically? Like who are the people that scare you? And you spend all your time trying to get away from. You may not realize it, but we tend to build our world with people who are like us. We don't like including people who are not like us because now I'm going to be challenged. And now I've got to start thinking outside of what I believe everything has to look like and be. 
But here's the thing. The kingdom is so much more organic than our right theologies and our right answers to everything. The kingdom's a rushing wild river. You read Jesus long enough, which we've been doing for the last year, and it gets wild, man. Like he's, he is, he's wild. We don't have a lot of people talking like him today. And you read him, but like he's going somewhere. It's a river and it's rushing. But because we're so consumed with our control about what we want it to be and look like, because this was handed down to me, this is what my, my, my grandparents said, my parents said, this is what my teacher said, this is what it has to be. Okay, maybe. But gosh, that seems like an essential that really isn't. Jesus is more interested in people being a part of your life who are different from you. In your bulletins, there's a quote from Thomas Merton. I love it. He says, you do not need to know precisely what is happening or exactly where it is all going. What you need to recognize are the possibilities and challenges offered by the present moment and to embrace them with courage, faith, and hope. I don't know where all the kingdom's heading because my brain is not big enough to consume it all. But here's what I know. I just don't want to miss out on what God is doing. I personally do not want to miss out on what God is doing. I want to jump in on where he is. And where he is is where the disinherited and marginalized are. Where he is are the uncomfortable conversations, the messy middle. I mean, even our vision as a church, and this is what we want this place to be about, that our vision is a place to belong and a place to know God. It takes a lot of courage for you to live individually as a place where others can belong. It takes a lot of courage to do that because you've got to step through a lot of fear because like, you're not letting them belong so you can hoodwink them. You're not letting them belong so you can get them to look at everything the way, exact way you look at it. You're just making space to belong because Jesus is like, like it doesn't say, and they all came and dined and then they said the sinner's prayer. <laughs> he left that part out. It doesn't say, and they all had a good time and then decided you were the way and the truth and the light. It just says they just got together and had a meal and they found themselves a part of this kingdom, this flow where God is going. So what does it mean for you to become a place for others to belong so that in time others can get to know God? And then I would say corporately for us, corporately, we have a beautiful new space. It's a fresh start. Like you don't get this very often, right? You know this, whenever you move into a new house, you're like, okay, now I can kind of maybe do things differently. And it's not that we're saying we want to turn the dime here. We've actually been trying to build towards that whenever God would give us a space that we could fill, that it would be a space that really could be a place to belong more and others could know God. We're going to have access to parts in the facility that, that we never had before, and it'll be great. And we could easily fill it up with lots of Bible studies, and those would be fine. But what would it mean for us to be thinking creatively about this space for those in the streets and the lanes and the highways and the borders to come be a part? 
what would that look like? What would it mean for us to start trying to leverage towards that instead of trying to curate something that we're always going to feel more safe with? I think that it would mean that we're finally getting to jump in more and more on what God is up to. There's a passage I read this morning to our volunteers as we gathered at 930 to pray. It's a passage I've been sitting on for a year now. Because I remember when everything happened last year, I just kept thinking, God, I, I just don't want to miss out. Like, I just don't want to miss out on what you're up to. Like, please lead us and show us what does it mean to be a part of something bigger. And there was this passage from Isaiah 43, 18. It says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you not perceive it? It's like he's saying, don't miss out. Listen, parables aren't meant to give us these tidy endings. Well, now we kind of landed and everything's so clear. Parables are meant to mess with us and expand things out. And so I leave it here with you to say, do you want to join in on what God is doing? Do you like not want to miss out? Well, I think then Jesus gives us a good way to know that we're not missing out. That we are entering into relationships that are messy and difficult. That we're creating space for others to come and be a part of our lives. And that we're not simply putting up fences. They have to like jump. But we're just saying, here's a well that I drink deeply from. Are you interested in this well as well? That's my prayer for this space. That's my prayer for us. Let's just not miss out. I'm going to pray.